all the technology and all the security and all the business process, all those things we talk about really doesn't matter if you can't positively impact people. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go. I'm your host, Jeff Tun. We don't have an episode number for this episode yet, but it will be somewhere around 100. Why is that important? Well, today we are welcoming back a guest who first appeared on episode three, the early days of Status Go. Our guest is Alita Jeffress. When we talked to Alita, she was the CIO for the city of Aurora, Colorado, and we talked about transformation in the public sector. Transforming one city at a time was not enough for Alita. She is now the vice president of consulting services in the state and local government sector, for CGI, one of the largest IT and business consulting services firm in the world. We are going to cover a lot of ground today, so let's get started. Welcome back to the show, Alita. Thanks so much, Jeff. And it's hard to believe that I was interview number three, and here we are 100 episodes later, so congratulations. Thank you so much. It, it's been uh, It's been a tremendous couple of years, and I tell everybody, uh, all the time. This is the favorite part of my job because I get to talk to so many amazing people and learn so much. And I'm looking forward to our conversation today because uh, you and I have known each other for years, but it seems like every time we talk, I come away with two or three or four more nuggets of, of uh, leadership insight. So I'm really looking forward to it. When we talked the other day, we started talking about working from home and the future of work. Seems to be on everybody's mind, given uh, 2020. So let's start there again. What are some of the lessons that we learned in 2020 about working from home? And how does that change the future of work? Well, Jeff, I think that that's a great topic. We've all had to adapt, certainly, in the last nine or 10 months. And I believe that there are two aspects to this. One is more personal and one is going to be professional. I mean, personally, I think on so many fronts, people just became more real. You know, you see the inside of their house, you see their dogs, you see their cats walking across the keyboards, right? And so there's so much more of that personal interaction when you're talking with people. And then you also have those people who are working at home that also have to take into consideration that they have to teach their kids. They have to make lunch. You know, they have to manage their household in addition to doing, quote, their job. And I know from my perspective as a manager, I've really tried to provide a lot of flexibility, you know, considering those things. So when do I schedule meetings, making sure that they don't conflict with, you know, maybe when school starts in the morning or when school starts at the end of the day or ends at the end of the day. Um, and if something happens during the day and somebody has to get up and walk around, then I totally understand that. Or they might have to, you know, go off screen for a little bit. Yeah. And I think speaking of that, it's also okay not to be on video every hour of the day. There are times uh, when it's absolutely appropriate and it's needed. But now there are studies about the impact of that day in and day out, even for kids. 
So it gives us all an opportunity to work on different listening and communication skills and then take what we're good at in person and translate that to skills that we can use virtually. So professionally, I think COVID took away a lot of our excuses. I mean, pivot your entire organization to remote in a week, done, you know, upgrade or buy new equipment and implement new collaboration software the next week, done, keep up a high level of productivity. People did that too. So it's amazing what these organizations have been able to do to keep work moving forward. And I think as these organizations look outward, the reality is now services need to be available digitally or wherever the customer is. Even municipal organizations have discussed ways to be more out or present with their constituents versus everyone coming to City Hall for services. It's just really imperative. I think you make two really great points. And and when you were talking about uh, the personal side of it, and I love what you were talking about from a manager perspective and really showing grace to your employees and and whether they're employees or whether they might be clients, right? But uh, how many times have we uttered the phrase, you're on mute, right? And, and <laughs> right. No one's getting upset because we've all been there and we've all done that, right? And so we get that, we get that grace. And then to speak of the amazing advances that many companies made, in a very short period of time to take hundreds, if not thousands of employees into a remote work world in a very short period of time with very little problem. I think that's just been an amazing testament to uh, the preparedness that some companies had. Not that they were anticipating a global pandemic. I don't think anybody was really uh, predicting that, but they, they had things foundationally ready to be able to do some of those things. And I think that goes to the preparedness, the readiness that our IT departments in a lot of organizations have have shown. So I'd love to pivot and crystal ball a bit. I love thinking about the future and what the future may bring. So what are some of the things that you see coming at us that will change the way we work? Well, I think as usual, Technology will have to be the enabler for the future of work. Um, providing modernized tools is just one component of that. Like you said, we've we've shifted, we've implemented new things, and that will have to continue. But technology will also have to be centered on making sure that we connect employees and their customers, increase efficiencies and delivery. And yet through all of that, we've had to learn to continue to balance security, ethics, and regulation. So the workforce itself, I think, will also change. There will be some reorganization um, as we determine how to upskill people and how we make sure that they have different sets of capabilities. You know, kind of to your point, when everybody pivoted so quickly, that's shown a lot of light on IT. And actually, I think it gave a lot of IT organizations a lot of confidence in their ability because, you know, usually IT hopefully, you know, runs under the radar, but now it's front and center and all of the things, the new collaboration, being able to pivot, being able to be secure, all of that is very, like I said, front and center right now. So as the collaboration and all these increases in productivity have been shown to work from any time and anywhere, I think the next phase of that will also be automation because automation will help accelerate organizations when they start to adopt things like artificial intelligence, 
different automation tools. They've already experienced having to change business process in order to meet the changes in how they operate and changes in what their customers expect as a result of all of this. And then lastly, I think modernizing some of the legacy policies and platforms, that will be a must. They're going to have to enable rapid and effective environments. And again, in particular with cybersecurity and even cloud infrastructure. Do you think that last point was uh, part of the reason we were able to pivot so quickly to this remote work from home is uh, maybe we weren't following all of the policies that were in place or they just need to be updated because they no longer fit the world that we're in? You know, I think a lot of times they just didn't fit the world we were in. I mean, organizations, they hold on sometimes, you know, change is hard and people don't necessarily embrace that all the time. So if they had things that were on-prem, now they've had to pivot to the cloud. If they had a business policy that involved reams of paper, well, that's not going to work for you anymore, especially when everyone's at home. So they had to pivot to something that was more digital and that was more available across their enterprise. I know back in October, you were on a webinar. I think you co-presented a a webinar on the future of work. Um, Would love to put a link to that in the show notes for our audience to go find. But could you tell us a little bit about what you talked about in that webinar? Sure. So the webinar that I co-presented was sponsored by CGI and CGI did a whole session on future of work and they focused on three different verticals. And so I spoke to the state and local government vertical and we talked just a lot about, you know, some of the things that I mentioned, right, how the workforce has to change. And especially in government where you have people who many times have been there for a long number of years So how do we take and leverage their institutional knowledge and move that forward? But some of the technology enablers have to be more current, right? So we talked about collaboration. We talked about how do we take government and maybe bring it to the people versus the people having to come to it in old brick and mortar buildings. So a lot of the ways that, you know, we're going to shift workforce in alignment with customer expectations and how to, and then how do we continue that trend? because it's going to continue to evolve. I think one of the key things we've learned in the past year is how quickly we have to be able to adapt. And just because we've put it in place doesn't mean that it's going to stay that way, even for a month or maybe even five months. I mean, look at all the products that have changed in that period of time. So really focusing on on here's where we're at right now. Here's what we see really changing maybe in the shorter term, maybe the next six months. But then how does that extrapolate out into the future? I think the future is going to be so exciting. I I read a report, I think it was from McKinsey, that talked about, uh, specifically in the retail space, that we compressed 10 years of adoption into three months. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you talk about things like curbside pickup and ordering via your phone and all those things that were there but weren't widely used, uh, really it just exploded and compressed down into those few months. And and I think we're only beginning to just now understand what some of those changes are going to mean to the workforce. Uh, It's just, it's been uh, an incredible year from that perspective. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, I want to use one of the most overused words of 2020, and I caught myself using this word just a few minutes ago, and we're going to pivot. 
and talk about security. Uh, I heard one CIO describe it this way. Prior to COVID, he had 400 locations that he was responsible for. Three weeks into the pandemic, he had over 18,000 locations. What are the security impacts of all this remote work, Alita? Well, that's exactly right. I mean, if you had one installation of something, one place, that has certainly just expanded um, just exponentially. And so, you know, when you think about security impacts of remote work, you know, that's a huge conversation. So enabling remote work for people with uh, technology knowledge is enough of a challenge, right? So even if you work in an IT organization, getting everybody to pivot to remote work with people who understand what's going on can be a challenge. But now so many more remote workers, it's across the business. It's all facets of the business. So your operational people, your customer service people, it's really a much bigger challenge. And, you know, we've talked about this, right? Security is always a risk conversation. So how much do you lock down versus how much do you allow the business to function? And it's always kind of figuring out where is that line so that your business can continue to work? I think that even though the initial pivot in the spring and summer might have been more to get people working, you know, businesses wanted to make sure everybody had access and people could do their jobs. Now they're circling back and really reinforcing and hardening some of their security policies and practices because they've got to ensure that although people have access, that the data is secure as possible. And this even means organizations can limit certain applications. I mean, remember when all this started and everybody's Zoom calls were getting hacked and organizations were like, don't use Zoom, don't download it, you know, use it out on the web. And now all of that's evolved and become more secure. And we've all learned what we need to do to keep that from happening, which speaks to having additional training and additional processes in place. So I've also seen more organizations this was kind of a wake-up call for them on how they manage their data. So um, they might have gone to cloud from on-prem, and that changes your governance, and it just changes your model and really what needs more attention. Yeah. yeah. And then I think, too, on the, on the flip side, you know, everybody's aware of how COVID has impacted the economy. But from a security perspective, there's also a huge opportunity for fraud, and all of those things have significantly increased. And um, I know this firsthand because, for example, the millions of claims for unemployment benefits ha- is one area that's really resulted in more opportunity for fraud. And I found out last week that actually my personal information was used to file a fraudulent unemployment claim. No way. And I was wow. like, okay, this is not me. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so, you know, you know, my former employer called me and, and sent me this information and I was like, no, this is not, this is not me. So this is likely fraud. And, uh, but when I started to talk with them, my former employer, and then I contacted right my current employer to let them know. And both of them said, well, unfortunately, you're not the only one we've had this happen to. And, and, you know, it's just something that's becoming more common just due to the nature of what's going on. But the other thing then when I when I went through the process, so then you have to contact your Department of Labor and Employment and you go through all the credit bureaus and even the police department. When I filed a a report, right, it's all become I mean, some of it was automated before, especially the credit bureaus, but all the other functions are now automated as well. So 
you know, I think they're reacting to some of the security concerns as well. And they're just saying, this is how we have to do business and meet consumer needs. Well, and, and at the time that we're talking about this, uh, Alita, the, the news has been full of some pretty high profile hacks. You, mm-hmm. you look at some of the government agencies, the U.S. government agencies that were hacked. Uh, FireEye mm-hmm. had an incident and now uh, Solar Winds. And so do you think that this it seems like an uptick in activity and maybe it's just an uptick in the high profile activity. Do you think that's a result of the world's focus being somewhere else, being on COVID and, and the vaccines and all that right now? Oh, yeah. I mean, whenever you think about those people who, you know, the hackers, so to speak, right? I mean, if there's an opportunity, they're going to figure out how to leverage it. And they're always thinking about that, that one step ahead. So it doesn't really, like my unemployment, you know, example, I don't think that that really surprised me. It makes a lot of sense. But I think as we look at things like how we manage vaccinations and that data, because now that's a whole nother set of HIPAA data that's, right. leaving, that's right. living somewhere, right? And and how do you just make sure that's taken care of? We're also focused on getting to the outcome that sometimes we forget. You know, there's people out here thinking about how they can compromise all of that at the same time. So it's definitely yeah. you need to look at it holistically in order to move it forward. Well, I want to go back to our crystal ball. We were taking some some looks into the future for a remote work and work from home. How does security fit into that crystal ball? What trends are you seeing that people should be paying attention to? You know, I think that personally, you know, obviously protecting your data, um, doing some of the things that we've always should be should have been doing, right? not answering these weird emails because you're going to get a lot of that phishing activity. I think I read the other day is up like 400% in some cases where people are, are leveraging the fact that, you know, there's going to be different types of questions and, and different types of scenarios that they're not used to responding to. It's not maybe the, like the UPS package phishing email, but you know, there's, there's lots of different ones. So, you know, I think personally just being, kind of hyper aware of, of the possibility of those types of things. And then I think from a company perspective, you know, I've been able to talk with a number of um, younger security companies or startup companies. And I even talked with one last week, right, where they were focusing on next generation authentication, which was some pretty cool stuff once they, you know, once we kind of walked through that and learned what they did. So I think that some of the newer companies, you know, they have more flexibility and they're producing, um, like everybody else, they're producing new processes and new ways of doing things and new ways that not only cover cloud, but now it's on-prem and how do we manage all of that together? And so I think that there's some new technology that will absolutely come out of that. I think too, one of the ways to focus is really making sure that we keep people in the cybersecurity career pipeline Yes. Security professionals, they have about 0% unemployment right now. And so really getting younger students interested and, and especially young women interested, I think that that's, that's really key. And, and uh, I was fortunate enough, even in the last month, to partner with Arapahoe Community College here in Colorado and University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, to help young women pursue careers in cyber through their programs. And it's just a great fit for women in so many different ways. Well, and and that's a great segue because when we spoke in episode three, 
you and I talked about some of the glass ceilings that you yourself have broken. You were the first woman CIO for the Indiana Department of Revenue, which is where you were working when you and I met, if I recall correctly. And if I'm not mistaken, you were the first woman CIO for the city of Aurora. Uh, So I know you've dedicated a lot of your work to raise the voices of women in tech. And 2020 has seen a renewed focus on diversity, equality, and inclusion. So thinking back to our initial conversation two years ago, what's changed? You know, I think, Jeff, it's really been the level of awareness. You know, I'm involved in boards that support women in leadership. Um, I've talked with women who head up organizations that are specifically designed to keep women in technology and help them with those resources. And there's a need for that because we've seen women leave technology or plateau in technology roles at significant rates. And there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, And one of them is certainly COVID. But overall, I think there's much more support and recognition for women in executive level roles, both from women and male advocates. So overall, I think the years of awareness of women in technology, women on boards, et cetera, has been there. But lately, with the additional civil factors that have occurred, it's really contributed and elevated diversity and inclusion to an entirely new level. It really has. And and when you think about the intersections where you have a woman of color that is in technology, you have the compounding effect, Mm -hmm. right, at those intersections. And um, I think that's one of the real uh, benefits that has taken place with this new awareness is people are beginning to understand that it's not a one-dimensional issue. So what hasn't changed in the last two years? You know, I think that even in the past two or three years, there have been instances where a vendor expected me to get the coffee, um, which still I was appalled. I was like, oh, and needless to say, I did not buy from them. So, you know, no need for them to come back. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you. Um, Or, you know, I attended a Zoom happy hour call. And after kind of looking at everybody who was part of the call, I started looking around for like panel walls and cigars. And it was was just that kind of a feel, right? So I think, and, and people aren't always aware of that, but you know, I always tend to think about the diversity that's in a room and, and how to be more inclusive. And I think really comparing embedding diversity, equity, inclusion, or DE&I into a culture is a process. And if you think about when, you know, security rolled out as a career and as a thing, right, security used to be just the IT thing. So no one else had to worry about it. IT would take care of it. And now, of course, we know that security is everyone's responsibility, and so I think that same concept will apply to DEI. It's not just an HR thing. It's something we all have to be educated on. We have to embrace it and we have to be willing to integrate it into our into our work cultures. And so that'll just take time, awareness, and a lot of learning and repetition. I love that parallel that you drew between the security practice and DEI. Taking that uh, further, security now has pretty much broken away from IT into its own separate organization. Do you see that happening with departments of DE&I where they, be, they break out of HR so that they kind of stand on their own? 
Yeah, I do think that that will that will become more mainstream because that's a that's a whole separate need. I mean, obviously, it's part of your culture. It's part of your organization. It could be how your company does business, who they support in their business. I mean, there's so much right that goes into that. And especially with larger companies or international companies, there's a lot of different factors that you have to consider as part of DE&I. So it's not only a an internal, like after you get hired kind of thing, but it, it's the face that your company or that your organization puts forward. And so that's something that really requires, you know, like I said, there's a lot of education. There's a lot of things that that go into that in order to really make that successful and really have that kind of diversified culture. So I'm going to put you on the spot a bit because we didn't talk about this when we caught up a couple of weeks ago, but part of what I've been reading a lot about in 2020 is the bias that is embedded in technology, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily when you're talking about human resources, but it's in the code, it's in the data set. Have you looked at any of that? Is that something that you've studied and thought about in your work? You know, I think that I haven't specifically, right? I mean, um, but technology, you mean kind of technology as its own, um, as its own vertical? Well, that, um, that if a coder codes, uh, intentionally or unintentionally codes their own bias into the algorithms, Mm -hmm. Uh, you, you read about things like, was it, uh, was it Microsoft or Facebook? One of the large organizations, maybe it was Amazon, was using uh, AI to filter applications for employment. Uh, and they learned very quickly that, their, that the engine had a bias built into mm-hmm. it, uh, not intentionally. Uh, and so they stopped using that. And I just wonder, in, in your work uh, with the public sector, that you've been doing in the security work, if you've run into that as a, as an offshoot discipline, so to speak? Well, you know, one of the interesting things is, is I have become recently very involved with an organization called Interview IA. And mm-hmm. it's a startup company that's really focused on non-bias hiring yeah. and specifically on the interview process. And so it kind of ties a number of things together, right? Like how does the organization put itself out there when they're hiring for for positions and then making sure that they're asking unbiased questions and they have an AI engine, right? That runs behind that to say, you know, this might be where your bias is showing up and this is what you need to do to ensure that doesn't happen. And, And here are questions that are non-biased questions, like here's your library of non-biased questions and the algorithms to make sure that the right people, the right kind of person is showing up for these positions that you're trying to fill. It's a really fascinating platform um, that they're developing. So I think that's really pertinent because, you know, when you interact with somebody on a, on a face-to-face interview or now even, you know, during a Zoom call, everybody brings their biases right to the table. That's just, that's just part of it. But this kind of a platform allows you to make sure that um, to a large extent that you can kind of take those out of the picture um, and that you ask or that you present different questions. And then they manage it, of course, all on, a, on an online platform. So SaaS-based product. But it was really enlightening to me the more I learned about their work and what they did. And I had I had used some of their 
uh, some of their methodologies, even when I was at the city of Aurora, but it was, it was in a much more manual fashion. So now it's evolved into this platform, but it's really fascinating how they go about doing that from a hiring and an interviewing and corporate culture perspective. So they're using AI to identify the bias that may be in a process that that's an interesting mm -hmm. flip in the way that uh, you normally think about it. That's, that's interesting. Well, and, and think about even building internal teams. I mean, we always think about these things as being external facing, but let's say you want to put together a group of 30 people in your organization. Well, maybe instead of just asking for volunteers, maybe you really consider what are you trying to get out of this group? And can you use a tool like that to even develop a more um, unbiased team within your organization, depending on what you're trying to do? That's a great point. I hadn't thought about using it internally. Mm -hmm. One of the things in talking with a couple of guests on Status Go this year, we've been talking about diversity um, in a couple of different contexts. And somebody even mentioned, well, one of the solutions to having bias to preventing bias from becoming part of your technology is to have a diverse team. Yeah. That would be a great use case for something like that, where you're trying to build diversity into an internal team. Yeah, imagine all maybe the conflict you could either create or avoid, depending on what your objective <laughs> was, right? <laughs> I'm a conflict avoider. I try to avoid the conflict. <laughs> well, Alita, we are at time. And as usual, when you and I get talking, the time just flies by. Uh, but I really would love to get your thoughts. As you know, Status Go is an action-focused podcast. We like to leave our listeners with uh, a couple of actionable things that they can do. So what are one or two things our listeners should go out and do tomorrow because they listen to us today? You know, I think that the very first thing, Jeff, is always to keep learning. I mean, we've all seen a lot of opportunity around that, whether we really wanted, wanted it or not. But I think if you're very intentional and you choose one or two topics and really educate yourself on those topics, that's really key. And, and if you manage other people or you lead other people, ensure that you give them the opportunity to do that as well. Because, you know, change is going to continue to come at us. Um, people who keep learning and keep investing in themselves, right? Those are people that you usually want to have on their team and, and give them opportunities. So that's always one of my, my key themes is always to keep learning. And then to go along with that, I also think to very intentionally mentor other people. Um, all the technology and all the security and all the business process, all those things we talk about, really doesn't matter if you can't positively impact people. And so really being intentional and in mentoring even one other person to help them, you know, raise their bar and achieve new results, you know, could just have a huge impact because what I've learned over the years is that even some of the smallest things we do or we say or we offer up, they can have a much bigger impact than we really realize. That is great advice and I think to build on that um, encourage everyone to to mentor. There's someone that you can work with. You may not think that you're in a position mm -hmm. where you can mentor someone, but my guess is most of our audience is in a position they could mentor someone. So that is fantastic advice to mentor, to keep learning, that continuous education, continuous learning, especially in the tech space. Oh my gosh, things yeah. are 
changing every single day, right? Yes, for sure. So just being open, right? Make sure that you continue to be open and take advantage of those opportunities. Yes, absolutely. They present themselves. We just have to be ready for them. Alita, this has been fantastic. I don't want another two years to go by before we have you back, but but I would love to have you back on the show uh, because I always think that, uh, as I said, I learned so much and I know our audience takes away some great insights from that. So thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today, Alita. Well, thanks for having me back, Jeff. Always enjoy talking with you. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information, and I will be sure to uh, include a link to the webinar that we talked about with Alita, as well as to a couple of the startups that she mentioned. I think those would be interesting to check out as well. So we'll make sure we have links in our show notes for those as well. This is Jeff Tun for Alita Jeffress. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.